Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 2 Samuel chapter 10. Very interesting little turn of events here. Things don't seem to be going so well. Uh, rebellion. And this is really interesting coming off the heels of chapter 9, where we saw this beautiful picture with how grace is extended to the family of Saul. Um, we have in uh, Mephibosheth, or Meribel, as we talked about yesterday, David gives him grace. He shows him loyalty to the oath, the covenant that he made with his fathers. And here, uh, here's David, you know, it says in verse 2, right? I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, extending the loyalty even to these Ammonites, but uh, this time it's not so graciously received. So really interesting contrast, I think, with just how, uh, well, grace is accepted and received, and it does good things, and sometimes it's not repaid in kind at all. Today, joining us, we have as our guest, we've got Pastor Jacob Heine, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. How are you doing and the brothers and sisters there in Topeka? Uh, good to be on with you this morning, and uh, happy Reformation Week to you as we uh, get ready for you, uh, that celebration here in just a couple days. So uh, good to be on with you as well. It's been a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, with uh, Reformation uh, Day coming up just in two days already, uh, with uh, All Saints Day, uh, the day after that, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. And then uh, before that, or rather just a few days after Election Day, it's kind of like a lot of things buzzing around in the air, right? It, oh, it definitely feels that way. And then you add in a pandemic and uh, oh yeah, that too. Life, yeah. There's that going on. I've done, <laughs> I heard there's a full moon this week. I mean, it's, it's oh no. <laughs> you Just know, let's, let's find out yeah. what all's going to happen. It'll be a, it'll yeah. be a wild ride, but God is still in charge and Christ is still King, so we can't complain, right? No, that's that's uh, that's right. And actually, that that sounds like as good a call to prayer as any, um, brother. If before we turn to the chapter, if you would open us up with a prayer, and then maybe one other thing. I don't pretend to be the most well-informed on international affairs here, but it just it caught my eye this morning that there was uh, there was an attack in a church in Nice, mm. France today, um, because I guess also, among other things, it's also the uh, observance of the Prophet Muhammad's birthday. And uh, oh. yeah, there's, there's a community that's reeling there, and um, in, just in, in France in general, uh, the Christians there. So if you could just offer up a prayer, too, for our brothers and sisters uh, in France. Absolutely. No, I had missed that, and I'm glad you uh, brought my attention to it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we rejoice that you are our God, and we are your people. We are the, the shape of your pasture. We are your creation, your cre and you are our creator. And so we, we come before you today asking your blessing upon us as we study, that you would send your spirit of wisdom, your spirit of truth, your spirit of love and grace. Uh, to see in Scripture how you point us to Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Uh, in Christ alone do we, do we find our joy. Lord, we lift up to you those that are persecuted uh, for their faith, especially those in France this day, uh, as they reel from an attack within the, the sanctuary of a church. What, a, what a, a terrible and a hardship. May we find that peace which passes all understanding, even in the midst of danger and the hardship uh, we know that, uh, as Luther wrote in that wonderful hymn, though, uh, we may lose all goods, honor, child, spouse, uh, 
you still are king and you are still victorious and you still reign forever. Guide us always. Keep us in your care and shower us with grace upon grace. In Christ in whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it is actually helpful as a consolation that you, you do have All Saints Day to, to look forward to uh, this weekend that, you know, in the midst of these things, like you said, that no one can take away the throne from Christ who reigns in glory. So uh, let, let's then consider uh, a different uh, Christ here. This is uh, the, the earthly Christ, the, uh, the Messiah, the anointed one, David, uh, a long time before uh, Jesus Christ was born. And, uh, well, you've got some challenges to, to his rule today as well. So I don't know, any, anything you can kind of do to set the stage for us here in terms of context and uh, where, where the pieces kind of lay on the, on the field? Yeah, it's an interesting section here as we, uh, we turn to chapter 10. Uh, most scholars would put date this right around 1000 BC, 995, 98, somewhere in there. Um, but it's the first of three chapters that are devoted to the events of the Ammonite War and David's uh, dealings with Ammon and Syria and all that goes on there. But what we see kind of interesting in this is he, this is almost where David gets himself in trouble as he starts to uh, move back from his leadership position which we'll see at the beginning of chapter 11, he really does, but it puts others in charge and while he stays behind. And so there's kind of an interesting uh, beginning here that'll play out over the next few chapters. Uh, But today what we see is him once again coming, as you pointed out, uh, to deal loyally or to deal deal kindly with others, but not receiving the same in return. And perhaps how that plays out in, in these chapters as well going forward to be indications of things to come. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And uh, we remember to, uh, well, specifically, we have mentioned here, right? Um, it says, you know, the king of the Ammonites. Um, and then we have Hanun is named, right, as the successor of Nahash. So you remember Nahash, right? Uh, Nahash was uh, one of the guys who really kind of instigated Israel even cl- starting to clamor for a king um, and precipitating then the anointment of Saul. Uh, that this was the guy who was uh, chasing off those guys in Transjordan saying, hey, I'm going to gouge out all your left eyes. or uh, I think that's what it was. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, sc- scary guy, powerful guy. Um, I mean, that's like one of the reasons why they felt like they needed to rally together. So this is uh, not an enemy to be trifled with. And I think that maybe <laughs> we might be thinking to ourselves now, hang on a second. Why are they leave, why why they leave these guys around? Uh, you know, like what what's he what's he doing saying that uh, Nahash uh, dealt loyally with him? Uh, Nahash, that's not, is, that, is that how you describe his behavior? Uh, so yeah, those are those are some good questions, and I think there's um some some good answers that we can um, bring for those things. But uh, let's let's go ahead and just read through the chapter, get it all out here, and uh, we'll kind of circle back around and kind of ask about this. Uh, succession here. I think it's important to consider what that means. So here is Second Samuel chapter 10 here in the English Standard Version. After this, the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally with Hanun the son of Nahash, as his father dealt loyally with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. But the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, 
Do you think, because David has sent comforters to you, that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city and to spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the hosts of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Makkah were by themselves in the open country. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall come, for, come help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. But when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the Euphrates. They came to Helam with Shobak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, at their head. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. The Syrians arrayed themselves against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David killed the Syrians, the men of 700 chariots and 40,000 horsemen, and wounded Shobach, the commander of their army, so that he died there. And when all the kings who were servants of Hadadezer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So the Syrians were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. Uh, just a fascinating chapter in terms of just kind of history, um, and, and the setting there, like you just see here kind of how these different nations acted, right? I mean, it's just a constantly shifting landscape. You know, one year it's like, these are your allies. The next year, these are your enemies, right? It's like, a, I guess it's like from what I'm told um, in European countries, it's sort of like how those multi-party systems work with their with their uh, coalitions you know it's like one day labor party is in the coalition with us the next year it's like no labor party's the enemy and we're in coalition with these guys so it's uh, this constantly shifting landscape here uh so it's a little bit different from you know our own context where we're kind of thinking of i guess like i don't know like nato and stuff like that right it's or like the uh the u.n it's it's that's not the kind of world that David found himself in, right? Yeah, I mean, talk about a. I, I kind of relate it when you look at uh, the Middle East, even today. I mean, there's kind of the shifting landscape. Even though we know kind of where the lines are, there always seems to be uh, conflict, and there's things going on. Or you know, yeah. you look at Africa, and even in our recent history, Africa has been a shifting uh, continent with so many different borders moving and, and countries changing names and. and 
that political landscape, it makes it a, a very difficult place to be and to rule and lead from. And so, yeah, David finds himself in that where we, you know, imagine our states, you know, going back to the Civil War where the states may have been, you know, divided and and against each other. I mean, that's kind of what you're thinking of here, maybe for our American right. context, if we were. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. We, we just, uh, I don't know, we, we just kind of have it so firmly in our minds that, you know, the world has these big black, you know, lines between these multicolored blob things, right? I mean, <laughs> like that, that's how the world is, right? But it's like, well, it's not really like that here, you know, there's kind of like, well, you know, there's kind of, I think maybe these sorts of like kind of core pieces of territory, right? But then the others are sort of like contested up for grabs, like some days it's over here, some days it's over there. So um, I, I think it's then in, in this context that the beginning of the chapter uh, makes a lot more sense because, you know, in this constantly shifting landscape, I, I mean, it's not like in the U.S. where, <laughs> you know, you can potentially change like your commander of the armed forces, right, uh, every four years. And it just kind of just, well, you know, it happens and it's a peaceful transition and uh, all the like uh, agreements and alliances and everything that we had going, it's all those just carry through. Not sure that that's uh, really a, a set of assumptions you want to be making <laughs> in the ancient context. And so I, I think I think that's kind of the background for uh, verses one and two, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for us to to make those assumptions coming from our background. And so often we do that, right? We bring in our own 21st century cultural uh, understandings into the text. It makes it hard to understand what's happening here. And it's so good to, and I'm glad you point this out, to, to take that step back and ask, you know, what, what's the, the cultural melee? What, what are things like in uh, Israel in the, the, you know, the first century or the 10th century, actually, uh, BC? Right. And how, how is life? Because that's important for us if we're going to understand what David is dealing with and why he's reaching out the way he is, especially to, to Hanan or Hanon. Yeah. So, so about that then. Okay. So what is, uh, so, so we get this, right? So, you know, uh, Nahash dies. Um, and this is how it works, right? Like the, the king is pretty much the king until he dies, <laughs> you know, um, you know, the king is dead, long live the king. And, and then, and then, so Hanon, his son takes over and when you have this take place, right, like this is a major question, like how is Hanun going to reign over the Ammonites? Is he going to, you know, honor all the previous agreements? Is he saying all bets are off? You know, you just don't know. And, and to be fair, there's something kind of like this even in um, among the Israelites. We recall that when the high priest dies, as outlined in uh, Numbers, uh, when the high priest dies, certain things are, are just canceled. It's like, uh, hey, you know what? We, we, you, you can't uh, hold anyone accountable for that. It's uh, Now it's uh, past the statute of limitations, right? I mean, like, there, there is kind of just a, a sense of, yeah, the, the death of these certain people means, okay, uh, this time is done. We have moved into a new period, and, and some things are just we're hitting the reset button on. So uh, I, I think then that, that's how we got to understand what's going on. And so then what, how would you kind of take that into verse two, what David says? Well, and it, 
Yeah, well, it's an interesting piece because we don't know a whole lot about Nahash. Uh, you have to go back to First Samuel, uh, I think it's First Samuel 11, uh, where we meet him, and he has no use for Saul, as it appears. I mean, he, and I think you said gouges out the right eye or the left eye. I mean, he's got no use for, for Saul and his, his leadership or his kingship. And yet we're not told anything about his relationship with David. Uh, maybe perhaps he, he got along with David or he liked David a whole lot more than Saul. So when David takes over, it's a, a much better relationship. And maybe that's where we can, you know, we have to be careful conjecturing, obviously, but we may take into the text here, conjecture into the text. Maybe they had a better relationship and things had the between Ammon and Israel had improved during these days. And so uh, David sends a, a group to, to mourn, to console, to bring the, the greetings of the nations, which is kind of a, still a common thing when a leader dies. Yep. We send emissaries and others to, to mourn alongside and show our support for the nation. And, you know, he, he's reaching out to try and continue, you know, the goodwill or the good relationship, it appears, that had been between Ammon and Israel. And yet uh, we don't see the reciprocation here on this one. Right, right. So, I mean, so this is this is the thing, right? It's again, it's it's about like these uh, agreements, and and I think that sometimes we we read a little bit too much into these things. And and for instance, like that word there in verse two that here is translated loyally, right? Uh, back in chapter mm-hmm. nine, it was translated, you know, kindly. Um, and in other places in the ESV, they're going to translate it with the word love, right? Um, and, and so, you know, we, we kind of are like, oh, well, it's, you know, a uh, warm, like a uh, feeling, you know, David's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm loyal to him and he was loyal to me. And you, and you think this implies like, a, a, I, I don't know, we, we kind of just translate that into like an emotional bond, right? But like, I don't know, like, I, I think kind of like to what you were just bringing up, like, I, I think it was business, right? Like, I think it was, you can talk about them having a good relationship, but what that means, right, is that, well, you know, I don't know, they traded, they didn't kill each other. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, I suppose you can call that, you know, a relationship when you, like, socially interact with someone and refrain from doing them violence, right? In that sense, I have a relationship with, you know, like, the the, the employees at Costco or something, right? You know, <laughs> but, right. but it's not— but that's that's not the same sort of thing, right? So, I, I mean, I, I think it specifically is, um, you know, as we saw in the last chapter, when, when he was showing this this uh, covenant loyalty to Maribel, it meant, I'm going to honor the agreement I made with Saul and Jonathan, and you will receive the benefit here, right? And so what, when he says here, I'll deal loyally, right, it's a way of saying, check this out, right? Because, like, this is the part that you miss, I think, very easily. Um, Nahash, right, must have been defeated, like you said back in First Samuel, uh, by Saul. And what must have happened is they made an agreement then, right? And then after the death of Saul and David came into power, Nahash, this is what the, the verse means, Nahash said, you know what, David, I'm honoring the agreements that Saul made with us, with you. I'm going to extend all the, the benefits and the rights and all those things um, of that agreement with Saul it's it's yours, right? Same stuff is in play. That's what he's talking about. So not that like Nahash is like a, a nice fellow. He isn't. We, we just talked about that. But when Nahash um, saw the Israelite change of power, like he honored the agreements. And so David here is doing the same thing. He's really um, paying back 
uh, Nahash uh, for that that move of uh, good faith. Yeah, and you can imagine that you know David, knowing what had happened with Saul, you know wants to keep a good relationship because he doesn't want to have to deal with that again. Um, right. And so here, when Nahash dies, you I mean the the political landscape you can see playing out. All right, let's keep a good relationship. Let's keep that good, that good treaty as it were between the two nations and make sure that we don't have to deal with that. We've got enough battles to fight, right? So let's, let's not Mm -hmm. deal with this one along with all the others. So you can understand David's motivation here clearly. Yeah, that, that's right. And we got to remember too. So this is, uh, you know, the Ammonites, this is a Transjordan people, you know, they, they have not been, um, you know, God did not command that they would be, you know, wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, I mean, they're, they're like Moab, right? Where uh, if, if we can have a situation where uh, there can be peace, that's, yeah, like you were saying, that's going to be preferable because, hey, you know what? Like, if not, you know, next year, then, you know, the football season after that, the Philistines are going to be uh, coming back at us again, right? So it's just, uh, you know, you don't want to, like in, like you were saying, invite any more problems than necessary. So it, it makes sense. Um, David really is just, uh, I mean, in some ways, it's like he's he's got to honor what Nahash did for him. I mean, I don't think this is necessarily David being naive. Um, but then, right— you know, he sends these servants here, you know, like you were saying, uh, something that we do to this day, uh, you know, in the midst of uh, a death in the, uh, the the royal family or or uh, in the the state of uh, the seat of power in a, in a modern nation state. Um, and and then you got these, uh, I don't know, you, you got these these uh, these voices, right, <laughs> whispering things in his ear saying, hey. You, you think that you know this is this is to comfort you? No, uh, David's here to overthrow everything. So I don't, I don't know. Like, wh- where do you think these guys are coming from? <laughs> well, you know, it's probably not too surprising. You've got the advisors who are always looking for for something, right? And uh, every every leader has their advisors, their people they go to. And who do you surround yourself with? I'm you know reminded of Samuel or of um, of Solomon. And, you know, mm-hmm. after David dies and who does he decide to surround himself with, you know, the, the young men or the old men. And, um, and then you get his sons who do the same thing. And, it, you know, you kind of get that, that idea that here you've got the same thing as, you know, uh, Hanun is, is surrounding himself with his advisors, whoever those might be. And they look to be, to picking a fight, you know, let's take out Israel. Israel's small; they're weak. Um, who's their god? Maybe sort of ideas which we see in other places with, um, you know, the the seven nations around Israel during the time of the prophets. You know that yeah. they they look at Israel as being a weak and uh, neglected nation. Their god is not a strong god, and so you can almost hear that here, where the the princes come to him saying, you know what. The, David's just up to no good. He's going to overtake us. He's going to overthrow us. We're more powerful. Uh, these guys are spies. They're trying to check out if, we, if we've got power and almost in their way trying to get their own power with the new yep. king and who I, he I think, is and jockey for position yep. there. I think you're exactly right because I think that this is what would happen every single time. 
right? There was a there was a death of a leader, a king in a neighboring nation. There were always going to be because just like you were saying, uh, it, it's not like there's just kind of this one king and he rules over everything and that's it. No, there's always these these princes, right, who would go underneath him or. Um, or like the way it was in the Philistines, they talk about the five lords of the Philistines. They call mm, each, each yeah. of those leaders, right? And like in Gath or um, in whatever other Ashkelon, right? You know, each one of them would be called a, a king, right? So it, it's always very much like broken down, and it's kind of fluid. Who's who's the strongest? So this is what happens every single time. Um, this is their shot at seizing more power, and so of course they're going to try to influence them this way, but. Ah, then the decision that he makes. We got to turn to that uh, in a couple of minutes. Here, got to first take our break. Everybody, hold on. We're looking at Second Samuel chapter ten on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio, or anytime on KFUO.org, or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. The members of Grace Lutheran Church in Wellsville, Missouri, welcome you to join them for Sunday school and adult Bible class on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock, followed by the divine service at 10 o'clock. On Wednesday afternoons from September through April, Grace offers a midweek program for children grades 1 through 8. For more information, contact the church office at 573-684-2106 or visit our website, graceinwellsville.com. Also, check us out on Facebook. This has been quite a year, a lot of uncertainty. But there is one thing you can count on if you're a member of the Concordia Plans. Your benefits through the Concordia Plans are always with you to help keep you physically, emotionally, and financially healthy. Protect yourself and your family by signing up for your health care benefits, along with additional insurance and saving for retirement. Choose your 2021 benefits November 2nd through the 20th at concordiaplans.org slash myaccount. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 10, David dealing with the son of Nahash, or uh, as we were just saying, too, like, you would say his name in Hebrew, something like Nahash, which is interesting, because that's, uh, well, it's the word for serpent and uh, the word for bronze also. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh it's it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that you have um I mean not, not anyways but we're dealing with his son now and you know so here we are it's the position of uh transition of power people are jockeying for position and power you know this is what happens all the time and we can kind of relate to this maybe a little bit more <laughs> in the midst of an election season if you've got any questions or comments observations Give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. 
or you can post a comment or question on the live stream, facebook.com slash Espinosa. If you do have a question, try to get that in, um, like I say, in the next like 10, 15, uh, so we have a, t a chance to actually address it here. But we're joined here by our guest. We've got Pastor Jacob Heine, pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Thank you, brother, for uh, for joining us and for helping us work through this chapter. And also thanks to our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. So, uh, so brother, we were just before the break talking about... Uh, I, I, I was just... Uh, kind of reflecting on the, the point that you made, which is very helpful, that, hey, there's all these, like, under underling powers, right? Like these, um, you know, like, we would... You see, it's weird, because, like, we, I guess we just we just think of it as so automatic that, like, of course, like, the governors of the states are, like, under or, like, subservient to the president. But it's, like, it, that's not the assumption in this world. It's, like, one day the president is the governor of California. The next day the president is like the governor of Missouri. Like it, it like shifts around. And so there's always these guys who are looking to just upset the apple cart because, uh, well, it's like has been said, chaos is a ladder. This is a great opportunity for someone to seize power in a vacuum. Yeah. I mean, it, put in our uh, Reformation context, I mean, just think of Germany back in the 1500s and every region mm. had their own prince and yep. had their own religion, as it were. I mean, there became a time mm -hmm. after Luther where, depending on who, what religion the prince was, the whole area, and they were constantly fighting and battling with each other. So if you know your Reformation history, you can put it in that context, and that's kind of, you know, helps us understand what's happening with David, too. That's right. That's right. It's um. It, there's a good analogy there. I mean, like, is it's funny because we we do the we we import the same set of assumptions, right? Just on uh, Reformation history, right? And it's it's not even valid there. <laughs> and, and that's right, uh, exactly. And that's and that's so much more recent. But like, we just again just the, the kind of like nationalism that we take for granted. That's like it's like the last few centuries, you know. Like, uh, it's kind of the new kid on the block in terms of uh, appreciating these sorts of things. I mean everything before was just so much more based on ethnicity um, and, and less on, well, you know, like lines on this, you know, theoretical map. I mean, you got to think about that. That's so much more abstract. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, dollars being worth, well, like, them being like a, a unit of, of, of worth or a store of value just kind of arbitrarily, right? Um, as opposed to like what for the longest time was all about like you know bartering things that had like intrinsic value right so i mean it's just it, it's just uh we don't appreciate how how weird we are <laughs> as as the uh as the new guys here but um so kind of uh, along the lines of uh not appreciating some of these things here um okay so to us what happens next uh what, what hanun decides to do this sounds like uh I don't know, something that like, uh, you know, some hooligans, some, some, you know, uh, teenagers decide to do like some kind of prank or something, right? It says here that he took David's servants, these messengers, right, who are bearing uh, consolation and condolences, shaves off half their beard and cuts their garments um, in the middle at their hips. Okay, that, that to us is like, okay, they got pranked pretty bad, but this is a really outrageous and shameful thing that happens. Can you break it down for us? Yeah, there. I mean, there's so much going on here that to us may not seem as big. 
But this would be a would have been a huge insult. I mean, if you go back to the Levitical Code, you know, even we're told there that they're not supposed to shave their sideburns, um, and this would be an, an insult and to God, you know, to to their God. And so here, by shaving half the head, as it were, half their beards, and their uh, the translation there could be that they shaved half the head um, mm-hmm. as well. So I mean, you're talking the full one-sided sort of thing. You would be not just insulting them, but you'd be taking away their pride, their dignity. Uh, they would be seen as uh, less than within society. And then also, you know, the cutting of the, the garments and their clothes at the hip. And the word actually there is uh, buttocks. And it's only used one other time in the Hebrew Bible, I believe in Isaiah 20, uh, where it talks about being stripped bare. And that mm. word is used there as well. And so the, the humiliation, right? So you, you've lost your clothing. And remember, they don't have, they're not wearing underwear or other things like we would generally think of. So you're mm-hmm. exposing their genitals and everything else from the waist down and sending them away without covering, without protection, basically completely humiliated. Go back to your country and, um, and have no respect because we have no respect for you. Uh, that's right and and uh it really <laughs> the other thing is too you know uh, like you're you're mentioning like in the hebrew of the old testament i mean th- this is a this is a book with a lot of euphemisms <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, you, you just don't refer to stuff like this uh very often and, and the thing is uh you know i mean there's just really stuff like this kind of happening all the time but you know the hebrew will more often use like a, a some kind of a a euphemism like oh you know like uh, at their legs or something like this or at their feet right um but here yeah it, it's it's kind of a little bit more direct in this case um and i think it's it's got to show the outrage of what he did right um because it's not even like you, you said it's, it's sort of it's sort of even worse um it's not even that he just humiliates these men these were messengers and we've talked about this before like, there's one thing you didn't do in the ancient world, and that was harm the messenger. Like, whoa, no, no, no. Like, that, that is, like, I mean, I guess of all the things in the ancient world that you could actually say were, like, war crimes, right? It was that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, once the yeah. war was on, it's, like, kind of was, you know, uh, no rules, like, you know, no holds barred. I, I mean, but but attacking the messenger, that was, like— you know, your, your own gods should destroy you and, and curse you forever for doing that. Um, that and just, uh, you know, shaving the, the heads of uh, people was something they did commonly in the ancient world as a way of one of the things that they would do with uh, taking slaves. I, I mean, there's just kind of multiple levels about how um, it's just totally embarrassing and really just just barbaric and ruthless this is. I mean, this isn't just saying, hey, David, the, the agreement's off. I mean, this is saying, you know, David, I'm I'm coming for you and I'm going to, you know, wipe you out. Yeah. And, you know, basically we think your men are half of men, uh, shaving yeah. their, you know, half their beard, you're half a man taking half the clothing. So we think your nation's half a nation. You know, it's, it, it's a, it's a declaration of war, if you will. And it really uh, is. to hum- humiliate them in the most po- most uh, extreme way possible. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and kind of going back to the thing with um, with uh, Nahash uh, back in First Samuel, right? Um, I mean, doing mm-hmm. something like this is really saying, like, 
you know, this is what we're going to do to like your whole nation, and, you know, and, and especially by exposing them this like this, it's basically saying we're going to violate you all, you know, I mean, so th th this is a, uh, yeah, this, this is, this is pretty, this is pretty direct. Um, it's really over the top direct um, because of the way it's taken out on the messengers. It, it's, uh, it's fascinating how it says there, uh, when David hears about this, it says, you know, he sent to, to meet them for the men were greatly ashamed. We can't skip over that, right? Like, David here is like, he knows that they're too embarrassed to go home right now, right? They don't want their communities and their families to see them like this. I mean, this, this, was, this was such a scandal. And so David himself goes out to meet them, right? You know, think about this, the king, right? Like these people who are too ashamed, who are not welcome. I mean, I mean they would not be a welcome sight in Jerusalem, right? So the king leaves the city to go meet them in their shame, and then he, he speaks to them in kindness and he gives them an opportunity, right, to to get things sorted out. He says, like, okay, you know what? Just stay here in Jericho, we'll take care of you. We'll we'll get your beards grown back, we'll we'll get your clothes, you know, we'll get new clothes for you, right? And then you can come back home um, you know, on good terms. And yeah, so this is this is interesting because I actually think this is a really cool Christ moment here, where like the king goes and meets the people who aren't welcome and gives them a way back in. Yeah, I, th I think we can definitely go past this verse, uh, verse 5 here, without really paying too close attention to it. And yet, if we do, we miss so much. Um, yeah, I, you know, you pull up that Christ moment, and I think that's so right. You know, you have the, the Old Testament Messiah here, David, who comes out, and he leaves the city. You know, it says he met them on their way, right? He leaves his protection, he leaves his home, and he comes and meets those who you know, basically are unclean. They have no place. They have no home at this point. And it's not like they, it, he doesn't do the miracle, you know, make you clean immediately, but he gives them a yeah. way back in, shows them how, um, you know, shows them a level of grace that most people probably wouldn't and realizing that it's going to take time. Those beards aren't going to grow back right away. So they're going to be out of commission for quite some time. Yeah. And, you, you know, you can pull that forward into our lives and ask, you know, how do we treat those who are under us, whether they're employees, um, whether they're the person serving us at the restaurant? You know, how do we treat people? You know, we see here in David, yeah. he's treating those under him with such grace and love, even when they're, you know, struggling and, and clearly ashamed. And we get the same thing, you know. Christ does for us in an even more profound way as he yeah. you know, leaves the heavenly realms and the, being worshipped by angels past to, yeah. to be humiliated and stripped and beaten and mocked and ridiculed so that we could have a place and a way back as well. You know, what is it such a big thing for us to, to have a little grace on the, the server who's having a bad day or trying to adjust yeah. to new things or yeah. um, the employee that we have that may have, you know, misstepped or had a hard day or even just people in your own family or friends who, you know, have done something that is shameful and, and yeah. need a way back into good grace. I mean, there's so much power in this, this fifth verse that I'm glad we stopped and look at it today because if we didn't, we'd miss something huge. I think it really is big. You see this in the New Testament, um, you know, like love covers over a multitude of sins, and Luther elaborates on that, the, the idea that—I uh, mean, it actually says this here in, in the large catechism, talking about—I um, think it's in connection to the Eighth Commandment, if I recall, the idea of defending your neighbor's reputation. He calls shame a virtue um, in the sense of 
that, you know, if you've done something bad, it's good that you shouldn't want everyone to to find out and know about this. Because when you do something like this, I mean, it's really, I mean, there's lots of things that that go on, but it's, uh, it desensitizes people to, to the evil of what you've done, right? It kind of normalizes it eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a way of encouraging other people ultimately to do the same, you know, because even if you say, oh, but like, I'm sorry, right? Just the fact that like it gets seen, right? Paul says, you know, don't even talk about such things, right? So, I mean, that's kind of surprising to us because we're like, oh, what? No, I mean, this isn't the right way just to be totally transparent or something, right? Um, But yeah, no, like Luther actually says, no, this is, this is a good thing when, you know, someone comes to you and, or you find out about something, in the spirit of like Matthew 18, you like, you actually try to like, you know, prevent this from getting out and from soiling the, the reputation and from causing further harm uh, as a, as a bad example. And, and I think that, um, yeah, I, I got to confess too. Like, I think, I think you just made a really good point. You know, how do we treat people? Do, do we, you know, we, we find the person who steps out of line or who commits, uh, you know, the, the heresy of the day. And so we, you know, we, we put it all over social media and we shame them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. or right. Do we, do we deal graciously with them? Do we not, you know, make a big deal and let other people know about it? Do we have some discretion? Um, and, and we actually like meet them where they're at. Cause I, I gotta say like, you know, I, I think I've messed up before cause I think I've reacted to people in shameful situations and been like, oh, well you need to just grow a thicker skin or, you know, why do you care about what other people think? Right. And so like, I'm trying to like get them to like not care anymore, but you know, I think I think here the Messiah shows that no, actually meet them in their shame and actually help them work through that and defend them. I think you know Matthew eighteen moment here that is really applicable for us in the fact that you know when you reach out to your brother and you know we you know in that case the brother has sinned against you, but we can pull that into the sort of same idea. You know, when your your brother has been shamed or your brother has done something shameful, when you reach out and you treat them with respect and you treat them with grace and, you know, you, you, know, you constantly come to them and work with them and, and restore them, you are, you win your brother is what Christ says. And what a beautiful picture that is, is, that, you know, winning, winning your brother back to a, a right relationship. And so we see David doing that here. And that's, that's the call of Christ for us in our lives as well, to, to yeah. win our brother, restore that relationship. And that's important. Yeah. yeah, and restore the relationship or maintain the relationship that they have with the broader community. You actually give them a way to save face, right? Um, as opposed, and and he goes out of his way, right? Like like the king is going to go meet the you know the the shamed, exposed, you know, half shaven men, right? So the the king will deign to go and do this, um, lest they have to have insult added to injury here right and and so that really shows how you know we we should go that extra mile right and, and go out of our way to help defend and maintain people's reputation and and it's like we we just we just i think we just we recoil at that and we say but no if they've done wrong then you know we shine the light into the darkness and we expose it right and it's like well i mean you're you're, you're exposing it to them you know, when, 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 when they, you know, have done something wrong and you, you know, move them to repentance. Right. But it's like you said, like, 
if they've repented and you've won the brother, like, okay, mission's accomplished there. <laughs> now, now it's time to, you know, uh, you know, help them. And the reputation's a, a thing that's, as we know today, too, too well, uh, hard to, hard to get back. Um, a couple questions that came in over email. Is there a divine command that David show mercy? Are we to do the same? Is there a divine command that David make peace? Are we to do the same? Um, and that kind of relates to this little scene here. Like, does David like have to do this? Right. Um, th- does he have to deal with, uh, Nahash's son, uh, you know, the Ammonites the way he does? Um, I, I mean, I, I suppose it kind of depends on what you're thinking about with, you know, divine command. Right. But I, th- I think the bottom line is David's doing the right thing in both cases, um, that it's good that he did this and not that he, um, you know, in the case of the Ammonites, returned, um, re- returned for their good, evil, or that he, you know, forced these men to undergo this shame. And so, I mean, I, I think that the Lord Jesus shows it too. He he literally went out of his way, all over the place. Right? Um, he 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 would rather go into the homes of tax collectors and sinners, right, um, to get them to be restored than to, you know, just, like, I don't know, pull them out and make an example of them. Yeah, and the, I, I you know, divine command, you can almost go to the Ten Commandments, if you will, and the, you know, Deuteronomy and Jesus saying, you know, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, or love your neighbor more than yourself, perhaps, how we should translate that. And, mm-hmm. you know, say, you know, how would how would you want someone to, to treat you in this respect? Yeah. And... I think I think you can easily say, you know, David makes the right first move in showing uh, respect, showing loyalty, as it were, you know, trying to to bring about the relationship or keep a a good relationship with Ammon uh, and certainly with his own advisors here that he sent on his behalf to to take care of them and show them grace is is, I think we can see that in Christ and can see that in the, the Decalogue itself. Uh, and certainly, that's why I think um, Luther, you know, expounds on it in connection with the Eighth Commandment, right? Because God's not, you know, it's not just, you know, the Eighth Commandment, you know, you, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor, right? Like, that, that's that's not just because, I don't know, that's just like a, a, good, a good, helpful rule for the court of law, right? Um, at the end of the day, it's because, like, as Luther says, like, you know, reputation is a gift from God, um, your your name, right? You see so much preoccupation with the name. Why does he give mercy to Maribel in the last chapter um, so that the name of the house of Saul would not be cut off from the face of the earth, right? Name matters. It's something that you're given. You don't make it. Uh, I know people think oppositely, right? But like name is a gift and it's it's really difficult to get back. Someone really has to like, as uh, through grace, um, restore it to you and that's not a thing easily done because it often comes at the expense of their name so kind of more on that christological idea um we, we want to take a look here at like the second half of the chapter so you get the actual conflict right um and, and so the ammonites i mean I this comment i suppose i mean it's, i'm not actually entirely sure what to make of it because it's sort of like they went ahead and said you know hey we're coming for you <laughs> um so, but then in verse six, it's like, and then they realized that David didn't like them. <laughs> it's sort of like, <laughs> did they, I, so I, maybe I'm just misreading that. I don't know if you have a take on that, but then they, uh, they, they get all their friends and they're like, okay, 
we, we better, you know, just go, you know, full, full force here. So I don't know what you, what you make of this movement. I don't, I think probably what happened and this again, maybe a little bit of conjecture here. I think they probably figured David would uh, basically back off, right? That, you know, here's what we can do to you. We're going to, you know, basically declare war and we're not going to, we can, we can take you out thinking that David would, would basically back down, right? Well, mm. Or maybe become a vassal to them as opposed yeah. to the other way around. And when David, you know, the, the, the phrase here, when the stench, you know, became a stench to David, I think the word there is used as rotting, um, which is the same word used in the Exodus of the, the frogs rotting as they mm-hmm. died, if I remember correctly. And so that you can kind of get that almost maybe a better imagery there, you know, and engage your olfactory senses uh, in a, a memorable way of what rotting, yeah. something rotting would come, realizing that they, it backfired maybe. This, this didn't go the way we thought it would. And now we need to get a hold of our allies and rally an army because this is going to be harder than we expected. But still I, with confidence, yeah. cockiness that they could win. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's got that's got to be how you take it, right? Um, that that they're not so much saying like, you know, hey, we're we're gonna wipe you out, so much as like, hey, cross this border, um, you know, br- br- send more messengers, you know, bring guys over here, because because I imagine after Saul defeated them, this is the only way it works, right? Um, like after Saul defeated them, there must have been an arrangement that said like, hey, you give us tribute now, right, <laughs> and and we will, you know give you protection and not come after you and these sorts of things. So it, it's got to be more that like, you know, Nahash's son is breaking that off and saying, no, forget that. We're not paying you uh, tribute anymore. And, and don't you, you know, bring any of your people through our territory or anything. Um, but that, yeah, this is uh, rather than just kind of asserting independence, right? This is uh, inviting war. And so they, they gather 33,000 total, um, which I don't know if there's anything to be made of that. There was some interesting number stuff going on a little bit ago. And some of these uh, names look familiar, that they get these different Syrians, right? Zobah, we, we've heard that name a couple chapters ago. Uh, later, we're going to get to, what was that name? It was like the, uh, is it Abadazer or something like that? No, Hadadazer, right? So some of, some of these these uh, these characters, right? And it seems like, you know, for them, it's like, hey, look, here's our chance. You know, we were just put into um, subjugation and paying tribute to David. But, hey, we can get out of it now. Um, and it just it just feels so much like Psalm 2, I think. Right. Just the idea of, um, oh, where, where, where is it? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Uh, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Right. Here's them. We're going to assert our independence and get free of, uh, of David. Here's our chance. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good observation there of, of, you know, what a way to rally the troops around, you know, you can take all these different groups and all these different people who are probably subjected to Israel in some way and say, Hey, we can get out from under this. If we, if we put our heads together and put our troops together, we can, we can take over and get out from under what's happening here. Uh, Unfortunately, it backfires for them. (laughs) Oh, excuse yeah. me, but you know certainly the that seems to be a, a good take on probably what's happening here with all these different nations and different people groups. So, so then we get um, so the the generals go out here, right? And so, um, 
you, you get, I mean, this is, this is a difficult situation, right? Because um, it, it was saying there, I guess, where, where is it? Like you kind of have like the situation sized up in verse nine. When Joab saw it, the battle was set against him, both in the front and in the rear, right? So here, here's this issue, right? He's got to split his forces. Um, and, and in verse 10, he, he gives um, Abishai, uh, his brother, like control of the one part. And then, you know, he's in control of the other. And it's like, I, I think the way that you want to take this, the, uh, the arrangement in a verse in verse 11 it's like hey if i'm getting you know slaughtered send off a, like a chunk of your troops to come over this way because they're going to have their hands full right <laughs> uh, but here like mm -hmm. actually like send us more of your guys right but i will do the same right so we're not just going to like greedily keep all of our guys to help us each individually survive no we're actually going to put the soldiers where they're needed most um so this is a, this is a neat moment i think between these brothers of their their mutual support for each other and willingness to sacrifice for each other. It's kind of like David and Jonathan. Yeah, it really is. And uh, a great way to, to look at the, the way teams should work, right? It's never territorial, but it's always about what's best for the, the whole. And so here you get the same thing. Like, yeah, if I'm getting slaughtered, send a group. If I'm getting slaughtered, I'll send you a group. And I think, you know, verse 12 there puts that in a great light, right? Be of good courage. Uh, let us encourage the people and for the cities of God. And, you know, this great line, may Yahweh do what seems good to him. You know, also yeah. putting it all back on God. We're going to take care of each other. We're going we're gonna to be strong and courageous, just as God had told us back in Joshua, right? But yeah. in the end, we're going to leave it in God's hands, and God's going to do what is right and what is good. And that's great trust. I mean, should, should we all have that kind of trust, be able to say, all right, God, it's in your hands. We're going to do the best we can, but you're going to work out and, and do what's right. And, and I think that that's uh, probably like the, the concluding note, I think, for right here, um, that that really, and you see that in like the church today, you know, I know that like in, in Germany, our, our, our sister church in Germany, they actually like pool all their resource, resources so that um, it's not like all well, the big churches, the, the, the pastors get paid a ton and the little churches are the pastors barely like, you know, eking by. They say, you know, we're just putting it together. You see that in Acts, right? Like where they're pooling things together because there's that idea of if we're all one body, if we're all joined together in Christ, then yeah, then, then we don't want shame or, or want or need or danger to befall any part of the body and so yeah i think you see the, the love of christ prefigured in a couple cool ways here in this chapter so brother thank you for helping us see that and looking forward to hearing back from me real soon sounds great i'll look forward to it and have a very blessed and rest of your day you too and a, and a blessed reformation and all saints everybody pastor jacob heine pastor at faith topeka kansas going on to chapter 11 till then i'm pastor aj espinosa peace for this program to continue you can make a gift safe secure and easily online at kfuo.org thank you for listening and supporting by strong word